0: Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're gonna have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now on this show we have a special guest. Her name is Hilary Jamron. Uh, She actually died from a drug overdose when she was 18, went to the other side, and then only partially returned. One part of her soul remains on the other side, while her physical body came back to what we call the real world. When When her body returned, she was confronted with a number of lifetimes of challenges to overcome, including paralysis from her brain injury, a serious and recurring bout with hepatitis C, breast cancer, and over 15 surgeries. She has lost husbands and friends, and many other things, but despite these obstacles, she managed to earn a master's degree in community social psychology, and has had a successful career in the mental health field, working on substance abuse, dual diagnosis, and with schizophrenics. She currently lives in Bellingham, Washington, with her helper and trusted advisor, her dog, Alfie Romero Pellegrino, who we might be hearing a little bit about. She's also been uh, able to write down her amazing story in a new book entitled Sur- Surrealistic Trials Surviving My Life After Death. Her work has also been published in both national and international educational and professional publications through the, the University of Washington the Federal Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration and the Public Health Agency of Canada. So uh, I'd like to welcome you, Hillary, to the show. I'm glad we were able to put this together here and I'm looking forward to talking to you about your amazing life experiences. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Well, uh, I think that your, your story is very unique. You know, there's a lot of books out there that talk about uh, near-death and afterlife experiences, and I think that people are starting to pay a little bit more attention to this area as the number of people with credentials continue to write down their experiences. And I think that your contribution yeah. is, is very powerful um, to this because I think it opens up another aspect of our world that we may not appreciate uh, and also we may not appreciate the reality of it. But let me let me get to a question a lot of people are probably wondering about, and that is, what is it like uh, to die or to come near death? What is it like?
1: It's comforting. It's very comforting. It's very... Uh... I felt sort of just at at ease, completely at ease, and I my experience was different from a lot that we all read about, and I think that's because I was so young and I had no no preconceived notions at all. I had not read about the white light or you know what you're quote supposed to see, therefore. I believe that uh, God and the universe met me where I was comfortable, which, in my case, was in nature. My particular uh, experience was uh, that I saw myself, I was on a raft in the middle of a very calm ocean, and it was a, a, a handmade sort of raft tied together with a rope. And I was hovering just sort of above it like a butterfly. And the raft was going from... Uh, there were islands dotted around in the distance. And the raft was moving um, on, in the area between these islands. I didn't feel it moving, but it was moving... Because the islands were getting closer and farther away. I never did land on an island. And I've, I've often wondered whether, uh, if I had landed, I wouldn't have come back. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But that's what it was like for me is that I am now absolutely sure that things are going to be just fine. Things are good over there.
0: Well, I think that I think that's encouraging, of course. And now there there's this there's this lifelong eternal uh mystery over the connection between the afterlife and this life. And I I think I think a lot of that movie The Ghost, which of course when Hollywood gets its hands on anything, you never know what's <laughs> going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, they made a love story out of it, but but what what kind of connection, if any, can you describe uh, in your in your own words? I know you talk about it a little bit in your book, but but what does it say about um, communicating or or visualizing or observing the the other world or what we call the real world?
1: Oh, you mean here?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you were when you were um, in 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 the in the white light, when you were in this very very near death experience that you had, I was dead. And,
1: yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I, I, I I I think that you're right. I would call it. I I think that you're right. What what did you did you uh, experience um, another world? I mean, were you hovering? Could you see yourself?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw. I actually saw it uh several different ways. Um and I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't um I prefer not to use that term near death experience. I think um I think that we've our society has created that partly because of a huge discomfort with death. Yeah. And near death somehow seems safer than death. Yeah. But People who are not breathing, and you know, people who like me, who were blue, and have aspirated, um, were dead. And that's just what it is. Now I forgot the question because well, I also well, well came back. I, with a... Well,
0: no, no, that's fine. Because you know, the big question here is what kind of connection, if any, oh, okay. did you feel with with the what we call the real world?
1: You know, it was interestingly objective. Hmm. I, I saw, I saw both, I mean, I saw myself as sort of a, um, small hovering little me body flying, hovering in the air above my body that was here in the hospital bed. And it, I was in Mount Sinai in New York City. So I had the me in the bed, I had the little hovering me, and then I had the me that the bigger me watching both of them. So it I mean it sounds complicated, but it wasn't.
0: Yeah, I mean I think a lot of people have had what would be called out of body experiences. I have a vague, right. I have a vague memory of having one when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And it's a kind of thing and I I always tell people um, whether i 'm interviewing uh, somebody is on the spiritual side or a scientist mm-hmm. i always say that nothing beats a personal experience, and when you have one of these things, even though maybe at that moment you can 't take out a camera and and make mm-hmm. a movie out of it or, right. or take a ruler and measure you know how far above the operating table you really were you 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 <laughs> could still it, it there's nothing beats nothing beats this this personal experience and i think uh as a side note i think that's one reason why this field is not going to go away this field of right. of uh, spirituality or new consciousness or whatever we're calling it but i but i know what you're talking about when you sort of when you when something else is hovering mm-hmm. and and you witness um you know the the physical world or your own body. It's an amazing it's an amazing thing. And once that happens, you know I'm sure it happened to you. It's like there is no doubt, folks. None, none whatsoever. That, that there is, and also there's no doubt that there is another realm. Um, I think Absolutely. One of the, right. Right. And, and I think that that's something I want to get into a little bit more. But I I want to highlight. I thought what I thought was one of the most um, important. Uh, statements in your book, because you do a lot of uh, you know not only with anecdotes from your own life and personal experiences, but you also have some some uh, reflections and statements about what this did to your uh, worldview and one of the things that really hit me was that that there was that there is really no a difference between between what we call real and what we call an illusion. That they're all real, and and I I thought that was really good. Can you can you just talk about that a little bit? I mean, you know, it's 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 a rich concept, but but why don't you talk about what you mean by that and how your your experiences validate that point?
1: I think that our perceptions, our realities. uh, Let's say let's say you're meditating, um, and you. Your body is in one place and you're meditating and every, everyone who meditates, uh, goes off somewhere else. So when they stop meditating, they tend, you know, they come back to their body and go about their business. Okay, let's, let's leave that part that's meditating out and you get up and walk, walk around in your body with that Part of you that's meditating, walking beside you, or above you, or next to you, or however you want, that's another reality. I think, uh, you know, that's one way to, I think for, for a lot of people to be able to envision what that might feel like. I also worked, um, as you said, I worked for 20 years, uh, strictly with schizophrenic people. And they, you know, their realities are as real to them as your reality is to you, as my various realities are to me, depending on which one I focus on in a given moment. They're all real. I mean, who's to say that are that you're that I, I'm right sitting in my house talking to you on the phone, or that? Um, you know, a schizophrenic who's having a delusion say that that monsters are going to come take over the town, and they have to go get their dynamite out and blow them up. That's their reality, and to them, that's real.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think might... what I think one of the most I think one of the most important things here, and I I was interviewed a couple of weeks ago, um, about and. About illusions and reality, because because I I think that we live in a spiritual world. I mean, this is part of part of my own book and part of my own. I mean, I I come from it, come at it from a little different perspective, but I sort of wind up at the same place. And I was asked, well, what about the real? You know, well, what about the real world? And I said, well, that is the real world. It's the same thing. You just haven't we just haven't risen to that realization. But one of the things that I think is important here. Is let's take the example of an of an hallucination, which is okay. which is very similar to the schizo. I mean, I think it, it's it's probably the same thing. I mean, it, it, when when you imagine something that looks real to you, the question mm-hmm. is is that real or not? Well, I would say I would agree with you. I mean, after reading your book, okay. I I I now accept the proposition that that is real. The difference is yeah. that because it's because it actually is occurring. The the difference is that right. and as some people would say, and I'm not the first person to say this, but the point mm. is that what we call reality is something that people agree upon. And that.
1: that's, that, like that. It's that, right. that,
0: that's the difference. When you agree <laughs> that's upon true. Because that's funny. Because I remember when you know, when you were you were giving one of your stories about trying to manage one of your patients and i can't remember which uh which patient it was in your book but you were trying to get him or her out of this out of this vision that monsters were coming or uh, or, or something like okay, that yeah and, and you were saying you know they're not real and and i think that's really the power of it is that is reality is something we agree upon and, but it right. doesn't, it doesn't mean those individual realities, uh, the, uh, the yeah. schizophrenic, are not real in some way. I think, it, I think it's important to understand that.
1: And I absolutely agree with you. And the reason that I, and even when I had to say such things, when I had to tell that young man the monsters are not real, I had to do that in order for him to survive in this generally agreed upon reality. Right. Uh, because had I not done that, I mean, he probably would have been severely hurt by law enforcement or by, um, you know, one of the right. residents that were in the the building that he was planning on blowing up. Right. So sometimes we have to even bend our own thinking, Philip, um, a, in order to survive. Yeah. I mean, I I believe that what he saw was real, but... You know, as you say, reality is is only reality because we agree on it and we this is where we function.
0: Right, right. And unless right, and that I think is what it's all about. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Hilary Jamron, the author of Surrealistic Trials about Surviving Her Life After Death. And we're getting into some amazing stories that only Hillary could talk about because Hillary Uh, actually died, and part of her soul remains in another world while she is with us right now on the telephone. Now, something here that I think we also need to um, unravel a little bit, or unwrap, is, Mm -hmm. is this notion that part of you remains... In in the other realm, which is really really neat. One of the things bef- before I like to have you talk about that, I noticed that before you died of this drug overdose, right. you you had some spiritual experiences before that. Uh, is is, is th- that, yeah,
1: is that correct? I you? think yeah. the seeds. Were, I think those seeds were planted before. Before I entered this life, yes, and I think my my overdose and my death uh, just magnified what was what had already been planted.
0: Yeah, because a lot of people, you know, it seems like when we're younger, there is more of an enchantment to the world. I mean, I think I that's, love
1: that. You yeah, know,
0: I, I I think that's one of the things about being young, uh, where where we don't um where we haven't bought into this mechanical uh world picture or this or what I would call an imprisoning world picture mm-hmm. where there is still magic to the world and and of course parenthetically I think that's one reason why fairy tales are so popular because they are it's magical stories but anyways um it seemed to me like you had some, you had sort of a Magical or an enchanting i mean upbring i mean up upbringing you you did have some uh this notion that we're not limited by our bodies when even when you were young is that right
1: that is right i've I've never felt limited and and just as a as a side thought when you were talking, it came to me that um the part of me that didn't come back. None of me wanted to come back. I distinctly remember arguing with this woman who happened to be my second-grade teacher, who happened to be on the other side, telling me I had to go back, and I did not want to come back. But the part of me that's still there just has that innocence, and I have that sense of enchantment, and I'm able to tap into it on a very regular basis. You know, I go, I go out in my kayak, and I, in, I invent stories and islands, and I play like a three-year-old, and yeah. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. yeah, I have a lot of fun. Well, but I, but
0: no, I was going to say. I mean, one of my questions was going to be how is how is life like kayaking, because because I think that your your uh, your stories about kayaking and its similarity to mm. To life in I general, thought I thought was 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 really neat. And again, I have a kayak as well. Oh, yeah. And let me say that I'm still learning to to move it in the right direction. So I have a long <laughs> yeah. I have a long way to go. But I do have a kayak, and so you your book has partly Good. has partly inspired me to figure out how to stay afloat. But with that little aside, um, okay. What how? Why don't you I like you to have you talk a little bit about how what is it about kayaking that tells you something about the world? I mean what is it that appeals to you other than it's a sort of a serene um you know thing to do
1: it gets me away it gets me into nature yeah. alone yeah. and in nature because i because I'm physically limited because of you know some Medical problems. I, I don't walk very well. And I used to be a very avid backpacker and hiker. And I can't do that anymore. So the kayak offers me a way to get out into nature and paddle wherever I want to go. And I live in a gorgeous area. I can, I can get away. Uh, my dog sits on the front like a little Viking ship dog. Yeah. And And I can get away and there's, there, I have that same sense of peace on the water when it's quiet, which is I go very early in the morning. Usually there's nobody awake. There's, there's nobody on the lake. It's a huge lake. It's gorgeous. And I feel so at peace again in the water, in nature. And I think nature is, well, I know that nature is where I connect with the universe. That's the meeting, that's the meeting ground where, where I, I become one with God and with the universe. And that has been true for as long as I can remember. But it certainly has been, become more apparent, one, since the overdose and too since my uh physical mobility has been limited so i i use any means that i can to access the places that i love which are you know beautiful places in nature nature is so powerful Yeah, nature nature is where i believe church is god lives there that's the, you know nature, that's the place to be
0: yeah well you know we we tend to um trivialize or take it take it for granted we t- i mean not I think anybody that spends a lot of time in nature does not take it for granted, but I those agree. of us, but those of us who live in cities, we tend to take mm-hmm. it for granted because all we see is you know we see a lot of concrete and stop signs and buildings and uh vacant property etc, but I always say, look up at the sky and and you should be um, inspired just by that i 'm going to read uh a line, a sentence from your your book that I thought was was really good on this point it says it is in yeah. nature it is in nature that the soul most effortlessly becomes one with the universe, where lines of separation vanish, and the knowledge that reality is everywhere is clear, and I thought that was really good because mm-hmm. because you know it's something that we could easily forget, and coming from you. I thought it was a powerful, uh, you know, a powerful statement. I happen to think that nature is the highest achievement of the mind of God. Now, which, I do too. which is which is sort of—it's not an original thought, but it, to me, it explains it. And uh, and those who think this is some kind of crazy talk, uh, remember there is a thing called pantheism, which is the um, position that nature is God. And then, of course, uh, about fifty percent of the of the people on the face of the earth believe that God created the world, and so nature, of course, is, uh, I think, the highest achievement of the mind of God. But that's just me. Okay, so i I like to I like to um, talk a little bit more a little bit more about sort of your dual realities, because this is something extremely unique.
1: Well, as I said, you, you know, I think away. I think everybody can have that if you know I don't know that everybody wants it it's sometimes uh rather inconvenient because uh, let's say I'm not all here I have uh I do have a you know an organic brain injury from the overdose you know that you can see on an MRI but beyond that um Sometimes it's hard for me to land, to ground myself, and sometimes I don't want to. And that can be, that can be inconvenient. Um, I constantly lose things. Uh, you know, I, I just have, I have trouble focusing when I, and the way that I can manage my life is by paying attention To what I what I need and making sure that my need is met. That's why if I get up at five o'clock in the morning, I go out, I get on the I get in a kayak whether no matter what the weather is, because that grounds me for the day. And if I don't do those kinds of things, then I part of me just drifts away. But for the most part, I feel I feel really blessed to, to sort of live these multiple realities. Um, this this reality, as you said, is the more dominant one for the most part than other realities. When I was in the coma, the other reality was more uh, more prevalent, and my body had nothing to say about what was going on. Now I now I do have something to say about... My body has something to say about what's going on. But I will not define myself as my body because I mean, you wouldn't know it to look at me. I, I look okay. But I have a lot of broken body parts. My yeah. feet are kind of broken. My brain's pretty broken. My hands, you know, they're just things that don't work. Yeah. But... That's not how I define myself. I don't define myself as being broken because my body is broken. I'm not broken. Yes. My spirit certainly is not broken. And that's how I that's how I get through the days. I, I don't focus on um, the negative part. I don't focus on the parts that uh, are difficult.
0: Is, is, it I mean, constant, I, is it a constant? Is it a constant? Sort of mindset that you have, and uh, and by mindset I mean, are you constantly uh, sort of uh, uh, balanced between these two worlds, or is it something where you could access one, uh, you know, at will, or are there certain moments when you're when you're more in the other realm? How does that
1: work? I'm always. I'm always. I can always access either one right. when I want to, right. and I can usually focus on. Um, let's let's use this this one because this is this is the place that sometimes I have to be, you know, when I don't feel like it, right? Or when I was working, you know, I mean, I had to be here, and um, so. I am able to access both at the same time. Sometimes it's, it is a battle. Not all the time. I wouldn't say all the time, Phil. Right. I'd say sometimes. Right. I have days when I can I can be here in this world and I'm fine with that, and I, I don't drift off. But sometimes I, I just sort of float away to that other world, and it is a little bit of a... I never thought of it that way, but I guess it is a little bit of a constant struggle. It's a... Um, I don't even like the word struggle, but you know that's just semantics. It's there's a constant pull for me to leave, yeah. um, well, let's to see. not deal with all this, this yeah. stuff of daily life. It seems so meaningless to me. Yeah. Well,
0: it reminds me. I mean, there's a lot of things that uh, that, that we that we do during life that make us "quote unquote" high, or to give us a high. And I, I mean, for example, um, uh, physical exertion is one. Oh, yeah. And, and mm-hmm. obviously, drugs is another one. And then mm-hmm. meditation is another. I mean, and, and I like to think that I mean, I was think, I've been thinking about this recently that people that um, want to be the richest person in, in the world, I think that there's a certain high from that. Now, personally, I think that's a very difficult way. In a very temporary way, but I think that everyone is looking for a high in some way or another and and mm-hmm. and what struck me about about the dual reality uh mindset is that you have been to the other side, you are still in the other side, and so yeah. maybe you have this you have this direct conduit here that is fixed. <laughs> So,
1: I do. You're know, so, you know, you saying I'm always high. Is well, well, no, saying?
0: I'm saying no. I, I don't <laughs> think I think that you know high has a bad connotation uh, because because we're always searching for it. So how can it be a bad thing? Now, I, I, but you know the the other side to it is that you to me you have to be rooted in something though um, at least if you're going to be in this realm. This is Philip Camello. Mm-hmm. This is conversations beyond science and religion. Uh, I'm speaking with uh, with Hillary Jamron, the author of the new book Surrealistic Trials: Surviving My Life After Death, and we're talking about um, how Hillary died and has come back, and part of her soul remains in another realm. And yes, this is real. And so now let's. I I I want to um, talk about a sensitive topic, which is mental illness because Good. because it seems to me that our society still doesn't understand it very well and, we I, don't. and and I have a funny feeling that you have something to say about that, and i I like you to just because you you have given part of your life to helping people with mental illness and I, and and because I think you you probably understand them. Yeah, just, 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 just in what you've already said about schizophrenics and, and reading your book, what is it about society that has it wrong about mental illness? And, and you can answer it any way you want to. You know what I'm trying to get at.
1: I do. I know. Okay. I think you know. Just mental illness is is the last bastion of of stigmas that it's sort of okay to hang on to it's o it's okay in our society to um, be afraid of crazy people yeah. that's i mean that's what it is it's it's that most a lot of people you know you'll see a homeless person who looks sort of sort of bonkers and you you cross the street i mean right it's just what it is um, these people you know the people that I worked with. For the most part, are, you know, very, very bright, intelligent, uh, quick-witted, educated people who happen to have a metabolic, physiological illness that manifests itself in their brain. It's not different than any other illness. It just looks different. And our society is afraid of different. People are afraid of um, anything that, I mean, things that we don't understand, we tend to fear. And that sort of takes me back to the high, both the high and fear. When you were a little kid, did you used to turn yourself around in circles until you really, I mean, what it it comes down to is access to another reality by making yourself dizzy, and then you fall down on the grass, you lay there until the world stops spinning. Remember? Yep. Yep. Yep, I did too. I think that is the first way that we get high. Yeah. And we don't think about that. Um, we, we access another reality that way. We're in dizzy land, so to speak. Yeah. Um, people with mental illness are, are so abused in our, in our culture. And you know, most mental illness is, is very treatable, very, very treatable. We have excellent medication. We have excellent methods of treating. You know, even the, the major mental illness categories like schizophrenia, bipolar illness, they're they're treatable. Um, yet we're we are as a society afraid. And you're right, that bothers me. It bothers me that uh, people with mental illness it's okay to still discriminate against them. Everybody else has you know, there is nami there are there are organizations uh the National Association for mental illness but um for the most part, there are very few people that really speak out for the rights of mentally ill people. And that's something that I've done for a very long time, and I believe that you know we need to get past that. We need to stop being so afraid and start learning from from these folks who have so much to treat to teach us about other realities they can they can teach us we just don't ask them. I asked them yeah. when when I asked them, they told me yeah. because they trusted me. And the reason they trusted me is because I trusted them, and I was not afraid of them, and I am not afraid.
0: Well, well, that's what it's all about. Well, well, it comes down to as well that when number one, when you go through, when you go through what you went through, you clearly have a deeper understanding of what the world's all about, and then your uh, your position, which I agree with that we've already discussed about how. Um, illusions are real, at least in some way that right. that these that we we forget that that we we don 't we don 't live in a in a mechanical robotic world it 's sort of like i in some ways it 's like um somebody with a child 's mind being plopped down in the middle of Wall Street. Um and and you know right. and just and just yeah. or or somebody from another planet being dropped mm-hmm. you know dropped on in Wall Street and with all the rush of traffic and the newspapers yeah. and the smells and and everything right. it's sort of like being out of place and sometimes I just think that it's a it, it's sort of a misfit it, it, it's a misfit issue because we go back to the same thing if we are really divine creatures really spiritual beings then 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 many of us will not fit into the world because the world hasn't quite accepted that notion, and so I agree you know, and so that's that's really frankly hillary what I'm about is that I think that we need to move beyond this this mechanical world picture into a place where we understand what our true essence is. Uh, And and to be specific, we were right in the beginning. We were right when we were kids. It is an enchanted Mm world. That's right. It is. It's. It still is. We just forgot about it. So it really is. It really is something that I I give you a lot of credit for. Um, to 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 pay attention to that because it is something you're because you are exactly right that it's something that we we package we package it. Uh, you know, mental illness we put on the shelf, just like I hate to say right. it, it's just like homelessness and poverty too. We do the same thing. Right, exactly. We stick, exactly. We stick it on the shelf and then, okay, that those are the homeless people, now let's get on with everything else.
1: Right. So. Right. We'll leave them up on the shelf. And fear, fear I think is I mean, when when we go back to looking at, at children, we we as children we're not born afraid of much of anything. That's why our parents were always saying, get down off that seawall, you know, don't climb so high in the tree, you're going to fall. We weren't afraid. Fear yeah. is a learned, fear is learned. Yeah. We were taught how to be afraid. And we need to recognize that. And by recognizing it, hopefully we can stop being so afraid of things.
0: Yeah, you know, you know, sometimes. I think that, and I, and maybe, and I. If I interrupt you, I, I apologize. I'll let you go back, no. but you know, it reminds me of you know people are always talking about the last frontier, you know, space, the last fr- frontier, with, with, or the ocean, yeah. the oceans, uh, the last frontier. Well, re- really, maybe our minds are the last frontier. We, oh we, yeah, I know, like I mean, that. I mean, we that's really we we are afraid of the unknown. It's just like everything else. It's never as bad. As you think, and you know Franklin Roosevelt was right. You know we have nothing to fear but fear itself. He was exactly yeah. right, and more more ways than one. He was a, I know, I know, he was a smart guy. And
1: I that's right. I agree with you.
0: Yeah, he was a smart
1: I, guy. You know, I think. Well, I think. You know, what is there to be afraid of in our? It's our there are minds. Right. Right. Well, so, yeah. What are yeah? What what are we afraid of? What are
0: Well, yeah, it's it's, other
1: realities. What's what's to be what's to be afraid of?
0: Well, it's clearly it's clearly something that we visualize and prop it up as being a fear. And I and and without getting overly controversial here, although I've been here, I've done this on before. I mean, I think it's one reason why uh, why our our society is so afraid of drugs, for example, um, that that it puts you in a place that people are afraid it's it's a concern now luckily as in the next hundred or two hundred years when more and more presidents and and leaders actually experience it as opposed to have this deep fear about it it may not be as right. it, you know it may not be as um criminalized or, or I or i think that minds will open but i think it's another sign that we tend to be afraid of the power of our minds or our consciousness or our spirits. But it really is the best of all possible things. And I'm not talking about drugs being the best of all possible things. I'm talking about the power of our, our mind power, as, yeah. uh, as 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 being something that, that we should um, appreciate. Now, in... One of the other nice things about about your book is that you have a lot of just simple, simple, straightforward um, you know lessons that are are good takeaways for anybody. And a couple of a couple of them, I, I want to touch upon here. And and I'm gonna start. I'm going to start with uh, this notion that we are not our bodies. And and this this is something you probably know something about. Um, because you've been there, but what? Right, right. But, but what do you mean by that? What do you mean by "we are not our bodies"?
1: Well, I think we we touched on that earlier as well. I, I think you know we are part. We're part of something so much more. We live in our bodies, but as I said earlier, uh, we don't have to be defined by our bodies. For some people, uh, you know, who are who have Anorexia or, you know, have problem body image or too, are too focused on, are very focused on body image. They, we become our, we can become our bodies, but ultimately we're really not our bodies. Um, we are, we are our spirits. Does that, does that, and we, we did talk about, um, my body's broken. I'm not broken. I could choose to be broken. If I wanted to, since my body's broken, people kind of expect me to be broken. But we can make that choice whether or not to identify ourselves by our bodies. Because we're part of of something so much bigger, part of the universe. We're part of all that is. You know, we're not just a body Walking around, we live in them. We we're going to use this body and move on.
0: Yeah. Well, I I mean, one way to put it um, is is big mind, small body. Is that if, if I like you that. if you yeah. if you live if you live with the big mind, in other words, if you live with the attitude that we are part of a of God, um, right, and we are in bodies because otherwise there would be only one entity. Um mm-hmm. then it then it starts then it's then it starts making sense, and frankly I think hillary one of the challenges that we have uh is is to sort of balance the the ethereal oneness with actually putting food on the table and, and it's, uh, yeah. its sort of it's mm-hmm. sort of like it's that's an amazing it's a, it's a challenge and a, you know it's it's a test experiment we're doing every day, and I know. Because, you know, I'm a lawyer and I undergo the stress, the challenges, the arguments, the debates, all that, all that stuff. And remaining pleasant and calm is very difficult to do that. And so, and so therefore, but, but it's, but it's something I always try. In fact, every day I start, I try to do the same thing. It never works, but I, I, you know, I tell people that I, I recover fast this is this is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Hilary Jamron, the author of Surrealistic Trials, Surviving My Life After Death. And we're talking about how she has uh, managed to survive death and live in in more than one reality. Now before I circle back with a couple of the other on a couple of your other um, lessons, I, I'd like you to talk about something that's a little that's different, and that is Mary. 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 And a, a lot my of guardian angels. A lot of people have guardian angels, or or think they do. What 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 can you say about your guardian angel?
1: My guardian angel has been with me all my life, although I didn't I didn't recognize her. As being that, until much later, until I died, and I, I can see her even no matter what I'm doing. I can see her all the time if I, anytime I want to. She's I feel her with me. Um, I don't walk around talking to her, but I I think to her sometimes, and she helped me to survive. The coma. She took care of me. She watched over me. She, she just was there for me. When I came out of the coma and eventually, um, got out of Mount Sinai Hospital, I went looking for Mary. And I spent two days at the small hospital that I had been transferred from in upstate in the Catskills. And, um, I was told that she did not exist. There was nobody there by that name. There was nobody there with that description. And I sat at the staff entrance to this little hospital for two days. And she didn't show up. But I know, as sure as I breathe, for an absolute fact that she is real, because she's still with me.
0: Right. Yeah, well, that that was a very powerful part of your book, because that it's it's sort of like she became more real... The deeper you were lost. Right. You know, it was something, it was something like that. And, and I'd I like that, yeah. And, and I got the feeling that to you, um, this, uh, Mary did, did mm-hmm. occupy three dimensional space. In other yes. words, in other words, she was there. She was like anybody else. And as you've pulled back from the other world, other realm, She's yeah. still there. Would you would you call her more spiritual now, um, or how would you describe her in terms
1: of her? I, de- I describe her as um, you know she's pretty much a, reg- a regular person. I I see her yeah. when I when I want to. I, I I know. I mean, I would recognize her if she landed in downtown Bellingham and walked up to me. I would know who she was. Right. But I describe her as. Um, an essence of safety, an essence of love, um, and a, an extremely powerful reminder that we are so much more. Right. Right. Because right. she's al- she's always here.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's really encouraging and inspiring to people who have doubts about it. And once again it's just like anything else that uh, many other things we talk about on this show you could approach stories like this as being fiction or you could open up your mind and say we are talking about the world we live in and we need to open and we need to open our minds to the very real possibility in fact the truth that this stuff actually happens you know the book that i'm i'm listening to in the car right now is proof of heaven and because oh, yeah. I, I wanted to get prepared- I, you know I wanted to get another sign of it, and it's just, it's it's and i i 'm just barely into it, but mm-hmm. as I said at the top of the show, the more people with credentials who have experiences like this, the more real it becomes and this is a I think this is a good thing because we start oh un- yeah because we mm-hmm. start unwrapping the depth of our world and we start we start experiencing more of the enchantment so i so i think this is this is actually i I think something that we all need to pay some attention to now we're not going to have a lot of time um to talk to to you hillary uh Unless and than until I have you back on the show, but while I have you here, because of your, you know, you come from such a unique place. I think it would be helpful for you just to tell the listeners a couple of the lessons that you that you could convey that that have that have made you the person you are, because you you have survived, as I would put it, lifetimes of <laughs> challenges. Not just one. You, and I don't know how many lifetimes yeah. it is, but you you have been through. Uh, some probably yeah, more experiences than anybody else I've ever spoken to. So, wow. with that experience, um, what are what are some things that you would tell folks just uh, to, well, to help them? A, Go ahead.
1: You put that so powerfully. Um, yeah, I've been through some stuff. Um, one of the ways that I get by is that I don't spend a lot of time looking back. I look back only long enough to figure out what the lesson is, because I believe that I know, I don't believe, I know that there's a lesson in everything that happens to us. Um, Certainly, you know, the challenges that you're referring to are primarily medical challenges. I believe that all those things happen for a reason and that there's always a lesson. I look back, I figure out what the lesson is. If I need help figuring it out, I find that help. I get the lesson, and then I move forward. It's so easy to get stuck in the past, and I think that's a danger that we all need to be careful of because we're not going to change the past. If we get stuck there, then we're victims. If we learn and move forward, then we become a little bit smarter, a little bit deeper, a little bit more wisdom seeps in. So that's that's one is is don't you know not to spend a lot of time feeling sorry for yourself or you know however you might put that but not to spend a lot of time in the past you know the present is what matters and learning is the other thing that matters um secondly i guess uh the fear issue that fear is only an illusion fear is kind of the opposite of love. The more we love, the less chance fear has to take over. And we as human beings um, really need to put out more love to change the, the mindset of humanity. I mean, that might sound like a tall order, but I believe that. I believe that because fear is learned, it can also be unlearned by not focusing on it and focusing on on love and trust like I did like it for like I did in my career for 20 years I loved and trusted the people that everybody else was afraid of um
0: yeah those are some see. great yeah yeah those are those are those are some great yeah. uh, some great lessons and I think that if if nothing else and I'm mm-hmm. going to say this again that it's always nice to know that many of these things that we sort of think are good for you um like like not living your life in the past is a good one and i i love the way you put it um you know look back at the past long enough to get the lesson and move on right because because you know i I have spent a lot of time myself thinking about what is time. You know, okay. So I, I'm I have a philosophy degree. Okay. So I ponder things. Okay. And once in a while, and and, ap- yeah. and after a while, I ponder it long enough. I just I just decide look at it this way and I move on. But time, I've I've concluded the most simple way to define time is change in the forward direction, which is the simplest possible thing. It's probably something a three-year-old could come up with. Because oh, like because it. all it is is change in the forward direction. I mean, it's nothing else, um, and that that is what's driven me too, Hillary. And this is one thing that I, I resonated with well your book. Put. I like I, I I like this concept of whatever happens, keep going forward. Right. And because it's so simple, but if you have that in your in your mindset, deeply rooted. That mm-hmm. nothing really bothers you because because life is filled with mistakes. I mean, you you went through a lot when you were young. You clearly were going down a path that wasn't um, the most promising, um, with regard to the you know just right just just okay. the you know the drugs and everything. Even though, again, uh, you know uh, there is a right and wrong way to do everything. But on the other hand you learn from that and look you know and today uh you're an amazing person having having um you know experienced all that you learn from it um and if you don't continue moving forward I think when you stop doing that I think then the end comes I think then you know you have nothing else to do
1: I think yeah I think you know I think it might sound corny but you know, I w- I would not trade any single one of those experiences that people view as being difficult say I wouldn't trade him for anything in the world because I like who I am today I respect myself and all of those experiences have made me this person and that's a good thing and I will keep moving forward as we all need to do yeah
0: well if, if, if nothing else it, it it means it means that the, that hope is real i always i always like to say you know some people uh say that life has a purpose and that lessons have a purpose and that um and the, and the, and then other people think well maybe some things have a purpose like you know falling down in a puddle of water what what purpose did you know came out of that one <laughs> i i like i like to think i i think it's more i think it's healthier believing that everything does have a purpose it's just that we we can't figure it out like instantaneously you know i mean it it really is i mean every everybody wants to have the answer now but some of these things some of these things don't unravel or don't don't uh reveal their meaning until years and years later um, and then and then maybe what the heck maybe maybe um you know slapstick comedy is part of is is part of the meaning too, and there probably is some randomness out there uh but but in any event it's real it's an it's an amazing story that you tell now um with regard to uh right now you are uh retired is that correct or are you still writing or
1: i i both.
0: Both. Both.
1: And I'm retired from I'm retired. I don't yeah, I'm not working uh, yeah. in mental health anymore. I yeah. and I am writing.
0: Yeah. Well that's good. So so how can people um how can people uh, find your book and, and um other things that you're other other things that you're working on?
1: The book is available through um the publisher like technology, Amazon, iTunes, um Barnes and Noble I have a website it's surrealistictrials dot com, and if anybody wants to have a further conversation with me, um I have an email that is hillarytalks at yahoo dot com and i you know I'm happy to engage in conversation with people as long as it's productive, and we can all, we can learn from each other.
0: Yeah, well that that's great. And and I want to um again and recommend
1: Facebook page. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I want to recommend Hillary's book again and because uh Surrealistic Trials because it is so unique. It it's a mix of personal anecdotes, stories, fascinating um uh, accounts of uh, of the afterlife of the white lights of angels of of uh Helping people in times of need—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a real mix of of the two realities, Hillary. Frankly, and, and uh, it's fun. It's yeah, it's fun, and and it, it really it, it gives you a nice sort of down. I have to say, a down-to-earth picture of what it's like to die and to come back, and that's something that we don't see a lot of. Um, And lastly, I would say that this whole concept of keep moving forward is really a simple and powerful um, lesson from all this. Uh, Hillary, in your book, you continue uh, to emphasize this this, uh, point about never giving up, keep moving forward, and I think your own story is testament to that. Uh, Well, thank you very much. This is is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Uh, Next week I'll have Richard Kahn-Henry, a professor of physics, and we're going to be talking about the mental universe, so stay in touch with that as we switch gears and, and get into quantum theory a little bit. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening been listening to conversations beyond science and religion hosted by philip Camella. to find out more about philip and his book the collapse of materialism visit the collapse of